Awesome. Um, cool, good stories. I was thinking this week about... Um, do you want to know that last, last verse in John? There's this great bit where John, being um, the poetic gospel writer... Um, he makes this like lovely catch-all at the end saying, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. And it's kind of like he becomes this wide-eyed six-year-old. Um, and I just love when we get together as a community of believers and hear each other's stories and encourage one another. Um, I think that that's what we do as the body of Christ. Um, we gather around the central story of Jesus, um, but we share the ongoing stories that um, God is writing. So that's awesome. I was thinking about that this week because I, um, I'm just going to rearrange this. Good. Um, went into the second drawer of my desk and pulled out this stack like this big of journals, which are some of the stories that God's been writing and I've been writing to God over the last... Um, eight or so years um, don't know where the journals before that are um, yeah and, and times of lament and times of joy times of doing stupid things times of um, God's wisdom breaking through so um, that was really cool and I guess the reason I share that is because over the last couple of weeks we have had Ben and Scotty sharing about some of the kind of papa of Blueprint uh, where we came from, um, being a church plant, some of the stories of this community and I wanted to share tonight some of the stories I've had um, in my journey with Blueprint. So um, I found my journal. I knew it was in there. Um, page dated 28th February 2010. And I wrote, Today my candles stuck to the bare sticky wooden church floor. Church is where your people are and where you are. Um, I had wandered down from Central House. I know there's a few Central Houseians here. Yes. Um, to Blueprint, which at the time was meeting downstairs in Bodega, so it was just like still scummy as from the night before kind of thing. Um, and I'd literally turned 18 the day before, so because I'm from a small town and a good girl and had never bothered with the fake ID stuff, naturally had gone to town for the first time, like the evening before. My birthday coming up soon too. Great. Um, and so this is in the day of um, the days of Club K, um, for those of you that have been in Wellington long enough to remember that, yeah, come on. And so it was O week, um, and so I was just one of the swathe of freshers that was out in town, and also to my distress, there was this kind of other smaller community of leery older guys that were just out to sort of watch the parade of freshers. So needless to say, um, yeah, seriously, this, I had moved to a city, gone to town for the first time, uh, it's my first week in Wellington, and I was just like, yeah, so all that hype, uh, I don't know what that's about. Um, those, those things that, you know, everyone's like living for, I uh, don't know. Um, so anyway, I rock into Blueprint, and um, I don't remember what was talked about, I don't remember meeting anyone, I don't remember the song that was sung, but I do remember thinking that it was really beautiful that people would choose to gather in a place that people that aren't from church could feel comfortable to join in, that people might just actually stroll into church accidentally looking for a beer. Um, and yeah, I think as Scotty talked about last week, um, this place, this, this community has always felt a calling to... Um, to gather the distressed and the lonely and to be invitational, to be open for people to come in and um, find belonging before they believe. Um, 
yeah, and I really like sense that then and, and sense that now, which is awesome. And that's something that Ben kind of um, talked about the week before last as well. Um, us really thinking about the challenge of how do we be the holy, transformed people of God, but be the invitational people that um, are welcoming in the stranger. So, um, that's like my first kind of snapshot of Blueprint. And um, five and a bit years later, I kind of was hanging out on the edges of the Blueprint community, um, really desiring to live a holistic life that saw me being able to love God and love people, um, love my neighbor, and have that be really intertwined and really locally meaningful. I think that in our um, era where you can like be on social media or Skype people or whatever, you can pretend that you're connected digitally um, and maybe you can maintain a good friendship that way, but you can't actually connect truly that way. Um, the flesh and bone stuff of, of being um, in a neighbourhood matters and I guess I'd realised that I didn't really want to commute to a church and then just gap it. I wanted um, neighbourhood and church to overlap to um, really like love my neighbours. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up at Blueprint. I was fascinated and terrified by the Lal Bay um, chapter thing. Um, was a bit scared of committing to that, but also longing to live for something more than that. So um, just to, if that's a sentiment that resonates with any of you, then discernment over coming up. Um, so, all of that's really actually just the intro to what I'm going to talk about today. Um, you guys strapped in for a long night. Um, what I'm going to talk about is our desire for freedom in God, but how we get stuck. We get stuck in fears, which make us want to control our circumstances. There's this natural thing that happens where we get afraid and then we just grasp on to the control. <coughs> so what I want to share about is how that little spiral has played out in my life this year and what God's taught me. <coughs> so in his letter to the Galatian church, um, Paul is um, spending some time writing about freedom in the law, about the freedom that God offers us in Jesus, the freedom which looks like putting down what you're carrying and picking up your cross walking the sacrificial road with Jesus. The road which calls us to let go of our legalism, our caring about our own reputations, and our trying to make our lives work. The freedom of stopping trying to find your life and finding it in Jesus. So in this letter, there's a story of Peter, who Scott mentioned last week, and he's the one that Jesus says, you're the rock upon which I'm going to build the church. Um, so this is a little bit after that, um, and what's happened with Peter is that he starts um, to kind of get influenced by um, some kind of Jewish elites that come from Jerusalem into town. So um, at this time, the young church is trying to work out what stuff from Jewish custom and law is legit and should stay and be part of the practice of following Christ, um, and what stuff actually gets like superseded and overhauled by Jesus. Um, and Jesus' death on the cross. So this was particularly important in this community because there were lots of people that were coming, becoming Christians that weren't raised Jewish. So they didn't have the customs of um, different dietary law things. They didn't circumcise their sons. 
Um, and this was like a sticking point for the Jews that had grown up Jewish and then become Christians. I mean, not that they probably called themselves that yet, but, you know, be with. Um, so this is the situation in Galatians 2. Paul writes, Peter regularly ate with the non-Jews, but when that conservative group came from Jerusalem, he cautiously pulled back and put as much distance as he could manage between himself and his non-Jewish friends. That's how fearful he was of the conservative Jewish clique. So Paul, seeing Peter's hypocrisy and how he's kind of being pushed around, confronts him. He says, We Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? We've tried it. We have the best system of rules that the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, we now believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and it's so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah and not just by trying to be good. So this was the dominant culture within Judaism, of rule-keeping, of earning your way um, into God's favour, and it was proving really hard for people to shake. This is like the framework um, that's in their society, and um, for them to break out of that, Peter was obviously having difficulty seeing how Christ's transformation kind of outworked in that. And what I want to say is I can relate to Peter. Not so much about the circumcision and being influenced by conservative Jews from Jerusalem, but by letting our expectations of culture and society overtake the freedom that Christ offers us. So if we aren't alert, we can be sucked into the patterns of the rules and laws around us. And in so doing, we cheapen God's grace and we cheapen it for other people. So there's a couple of things that I've run into this year. Unwritten law of society number one. Keep your public life and your private life separate. Don't talk about religion in your workplace. <laughs> so in spite of this overwhelming desire that I had to talk about Jesus and for the people I work with to know Jesus, I felt totally bound by this law. I'd minimise this crazy life I have out at Lyle Bay where we practice rhythms of prayer and read the Bible and we try and be weirdly hospitable to our neighbourhood. Um, and when I recount what I'm doing on the weekend, I just admit that I go to church. So I'm not lying overtly, but I'm lying by omission. And I felt a heaviness that came with this, about not talking about Jesus. So I was kind of weighed down by this Christian to-do list of like, oh yeah, it should like talk about Jesus. Um, but then also felt this tremendous weight of society saying, yeah, but don't, you can't talk about um, that kind of stuff in the office. You're not supposed to make other people uncomfortable. You're not supposed to make an exclusive claim to truth. You're not supposed to say that you shouldn't just fight back against people and not just be revengeful and stuff. Um, you're not supposed to talk about this radical forgiveness. You're not supposed to talk about Jesus. So... Like Peter, at the root of all this was fear for me. Fear of other people's judgment, fear of being misunderstood, fear that someone with baggage about the church would somehow misinterpret what I was saying and that I'd stuff up their relationship with God even more. This fear turned inward and it made me anxious. I was living under the law on both accounts, 
my, making my relationship with Jesus and the commission to share the good news into a rule and feeling the conflict that the law of society um, that required me to keep neat boundaries, I was also at odds with. So, Scotty Reeve asked me if I wanted to work for Blueprint, and at the time, I briefly gave it some thought. I was like, oh yeah, that'd be cool, but then quickly dismissed it because law number two. The second unwritten law of society is that you should make decisions based on what will advance you personally, what will make you money, and if it doesn't align with that, you probably shouldn't do it. So at the time, when Scott asked me about Blueprint, I just started doing some postgraduate study um, in the area of kind of environmental protection, which is stuff that I really care about, something I wanted to advance myself in. And I had a sweet job um, where I was already doing that kind of stuff. So working for Blueprint was kind of like a weird sideways step off the grid from that. Now, I'm not really someone who has lots of plans for their life. I'm not really career-driven. I'm kind of just generally keen to love God, love others, and love the environment, which in itself might be a protection mechanism to not disappoint myself by making strong plans. I don't know. But um, <laughs> just generally, um, even though my ambitions were very broad, like kind of almost feel like you can't fail so broad, um, um, somehow insidiously the expectations of my parents and of my friends and of society just got in there and said that that decision is probably not a good one. So by the time Scotty asked me again, like, oh yeah, did you think about that thing that I asked you about, um, whether I wanted to work at Blueprint? I realised that I was afraid. I was afraid of giving up this part of my identity. Afraid of giving up something that I was competent at. Afraid of giving up a good job. Afraid of giving up the ability to hide myself behind what I do. I was super aware that the first thing strangers ask you when you meet them is, what do you do? Which is an incredibly irritating question. <laughs> um, yeah, as if your whole self is defined by your work. But I knew that that would be the case, and it was terrifying to me that I would have to say, I work for the church, um, caring for people and trying to grow a local community. Um, if I said yes to working for the, for the church, it would mean that my identity in Christ would become the first thing that people knew about me. I couldn't hide behind... Yeah, so good. I couldn't hide behind being... Um, someone that works for local government or someone that likes the environment or someone that lives in Lyle Bay. Oh, do you surf? No. Oh, oh. who do you flat with? Blah. Oh, you live in a commute, commune. Oh, like, you know. <laughs> My identity in Christ previously could be like the 54th thing that someone found out about me if I wanted to. Um, and again, this inhibition was just me afraid of people's judgment. I was afraid that if I made this decision, which other people didn't agree with, they'd stop loving me, and somehow that would mean I was worth less. I was fearful of their reactions and of the possibilities that would open up, um, that such conversations would open up, um, I guess, heated arguments, but I was also actually afraid that good conversations about faith might happen, and that I didn't have answers for that stuff. 
I was afraid of trying and failing. So fear sneaks in and it immobilizes you. It paralyzes you from making a decision or from taking a chance. It can be this immobilizing force which makes you cling to what is known to try and grab onto patterns that you think will give you protection or security to gain a sense of control. There's this book that I read a few years ago called Packing Light, and in it the author says, rules give us a false sense of control. They make us feel like if we just follow a list of instructions, we're sure to get the outcome we want. But the rules never buy us the safety we think they will. Rules are just rules. They're not relationship. They're not a guarantee. So when talking to Peter, Paul confesses that he himself um, has turned from a life of zealous rule-keeping, of grasping for control. He says, I tried keeping rules and working my head off to please God, and it didn't work. So I quit being a lawman so I could be God's man. Christ showed me how and enabled me to do it. I identified myself completely with him. Indeed, I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important to me that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion. And I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm not going to go back on that. Is it not clear to you that to go back to that old rule-keeping, peer-pleasing religion would be an abandonment of everything personal and free in my relationship with God? I refuse to do that, to reject God's grace. If a living relationship with God could come by rule-keeping, then Christ died unnecessarily. And we know Christ lived the perfect life and died on the cross and was raised to life and in so doing redeemed all our failed attempts to make ourselves perfect. He died to make a new way to freedom, free from our desperate attempts to fight fear with control. When I think about how stringent the Jewish laws were, all the heaviness and all the box ticking that was needed in order to get a life that measured up to God, I can see how profoundly at odds Jesus is with that. Mm -hmm. When Jesus says, come follow me, those who seek after their own lives will lose it, but whoever loses their life for for me will find it. He is saying that we need to move from doing what we think is the right thing to trusting in God, to trusting in the crazy way of Jesus. This is Paul's encouragement to the Galatians on the matter. Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand. Never again let anyone put a harness of slavery on you. I suspect you would have never intended this, but this is what happens. When you attempt to live by your own religious plans and projects, you are cut off from Christ. You fall out of grace. Meanwhile, we expectantly wait for a satisfying relationship with the Spirit. For in Christ, neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. What matters is something far more interior 
faith expressed in love. So when I was trying to decide what to do, um, wanting very much to please God, but feeling the anxiety of needing to live up to all these other pressures, there were two things that helped buy me the freedom. Um, I guess the freedom of being brought by Jesus, there was two things that helped deliver the message of the freedom. Maybe. Um, the first one was other people speaking freedom over me. So there was this one night at Lyle Bay where we were praying, and Vicky prayed um, that we wouldn't be ashamed of Jesus and asked God to transform any shame we had. And somehow, hearing that, something kind of just went... Um, and other things slowly started to shift um, in a way where I felt more liberated to talk about Jesus, just to be a child of God without feeling that other, people, other people's opinion of me mattered that much. I have to say, since I've started working at Blueprint, because I am still working at the council part-time, I've had some great yarns to my colleagues about Jesus, and it's been really awesome. So, um, yeah, if you're super keen to pray later, um, there's people that want to hear about that kind of thing. But the second thing um, that brought me some freedom was letting go of the need to have it all worked out. The desire for control can make the process of decision-making really hard. I think that kind of speaks to your millennial thing about, will I finish my degree? Um, Yeah, I think we're kind of a generation under the illusion that we can control things. Um, Yes. So when you're trying to control all the parameters, fear cycles up. So in the depths of freaking out about whether to work for Blueprint, um, when I was trying to figure out um, how one decision would affect the other, where would I live, uh, where could I afford to live, um, who will I live with, who will I marry, where will I retire, it was just like blah. Um, yeah, it's kind of just escalating quickly. Um, you guys obviously can relate. Um, these are the kind of ri- ridiculous things um, that you sometimes end up worrying about when you're trying to figure it all out and you're trying to gain control. And I realized, with the help of others, that I actually just had to make one decision and take one step. Um, There's this pastor guy, Bill Hybels, who I don't actually know that much about, um, but I think he's been around the traps for a while. And he said this thing about fear that I thought was poignant. That in order to practically fight fear, we just need to peek over to the solution side or to the possibility side of the other thing. What the opportunity could be. To realise that if you're endeavouring to walk in the direction that Jesus is calling you, wait, to go back to that, peek over, just imagine what it would be like if you weren't just hung up on your fears. Just let yourself that. That was kind of his point. But his second point was um, to realise that if you're endeavouring to walk the direction Jesus is calling you in, you don't actually have to have it all worked out before you take that first step. And in fact, um, in the thing that I was listening to him talk about, he was talking about the story of the ten lepers being sent to go to see the the health authorities, um, and that Jesus didn't heal them like, bang, you're healed, now go see the health authorities, was like somewhere on the way to seeing the health authorities 
you would get healed. Um, so the provision of God, the power of God, will be manifest on the way. We've just got to start walking in the right direction. So letting go of the need for control um, and opening ourselves up to the freedom that God offers us in Jesus Christ. Letting go of the tight grip of rules, of trying to tick all of the boxes, of keeping everyone happy, of living up to our own expectations. For who we need to be in order to be a good person or in order for God to like us. God calls us into freedom from all of that. Letting go gives an opportunity for God's grace to minister to us. For the spirit to speak and for our faith to be made stronger. Paul sums it up to the Galatians like this. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in the single sentence, love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. My counsel is this, live freely animated and motivated by God's Spirit. And I think, just to add one final thought about this, um, something I thought about a bit is that the way that freedom gets sold to us um, in the West, I guess, is freedom to have more and more opportunities to get more and more things, more and more decisions, more and more possibilities. Um, but actually what that tends to equate to is more and more anxiety about whether those things are the right decision or the right things. Um, and so because of that anxiety, we have this fear of commitment, a fear of actually saying yes to something. And that's at the very heart of what God calls us into. He says, say yes to me. And you might feel like that decision makes your world smaller, but actually it makes your world bigger. Lose your life and come and gain it. Yeah, that's good. Um, so just to wrap that up, I found this little piece of liturgy, I suppose, that I thought we could say together. But first, I just want to give a little bit of time of quiet for you to um, let that simmer and um, maybe bring to mind a couple of things um, that come to the top around freedom that you want. Um, God's freedom and where that kind of hits you. Um, where it roundhouse kicks you in the face. <laughs> so, yeah, let's just take a minute and then um, I'll start us off. For those of you who are not familiar with um, liturgy, we'll just read... Um, the bit in bold together. Okay, crank that, that would be great. Thank you. Um, and if the music um, people's going to come up, um, we'll stand and worship together after. Let's be still. Thank you.
Jesus, Saviour of the world, come to us in your mercy. We look to you to save and help us. By your cross and your life laid down, you set your people free. We look to you to save and help us. When they were ready to perish, you saved your disciples. We look to you to come to our help. We look to you to save and help us. In the greatness of your mercy, loose us from our chains. Forgive the sins of all your people. We look to you to save and help us. Make yourself known as our saviour and mighty deliverer. Save and help that we may praise you. We look to you to save and help us. Come now and dwell with us, Lord Christ Jesus. Hear our prayer and be with us always. We look to you to save and help us. And when we come in your glory, make us to be with you. Make us be one with you and to share the life of your kingdom.